0: I know that uh, I use that song a lot. Um, I, I actually up on an index card up here. I have that. I have those words: "Let every breath I breathe be sacred, let every word I speak be true, let every song I sing be holy." And I guess that's really kind of my uh, my reminder of what my intention is whenever I'm standing up here. And and of course my goal is to remember that 24/7. Doesn't always work out that way. And, um, it remains a goal. Last week, uh, we talked about that fifth unity principle about actually putting feet to the, to the prayers that we believe. That it's not enough just to know this stuff, but we actually have to put it into action. We actually have to live the truth we know. And we are walking into the sort of what you know, what is the focal point of anyone who in any way has their spirituality touch upon an affinity with Christianity? We are walking into that period of time. Unity does have its roots in Christianity, and for me personally, traditional Christianity really didn't work very well. However, I have learned how to, how to take what is true and what is sacred and what is holy from what words have come down to us as the one that we look to as an elder brother, a way shower, a master teacher. There have been many master teachers over the course of humankind. And I believe at this point, and I didn't for a long time, um, you know, I've, I've had a lot of conversations with people and especially when I was in ministerial school uh, about the fact that Jesus and I were not really on very good terms for a whole lot of my life. And um, and I, I now I come to really appreciate the journey that he walked. And so today we're going to put our focus on basic practices on hold for a couple of weeks as we focus really on why is it that we do look to someone as a master teacher, Why is it that after 2,000 years we still can find wisdom, in his words, just as after 2,500 years people, including me, still find wisdom in the teachings of the Buddha and then we can go back further and further and 5,000 years ago to the Tao. And there are truths that remain constant and remain true no matter how no matter what the name is on the door that you walk into. And so, please, as we're here today, if you are like me, someone who maybe has had a troubled relationship with uh, the Bible and Jesus and all of that stuff, um, I hope that today you will allow yourself to put that kind of aside. And one of the phrases that Jesus used frequently was that people needed to have eyes to see and ears to hear. And of course, most all humans have eyeballs and ears on the sides of their heads. So we know he was not talking about those who have physical eyes and physical ears. What I believe that he was talking about was that for those who are willing to go beyond the surface of things and look below and look within, that there are truths that are universal and that will help all of us to live more optimally in this world. And so one of the things that we do here each week, simply to reinforce that universality of the divine within each and every one of us, is to utilize words of affirmation. Words of affirmation and actually denial. Uh, you know, that, Those were a couple of the first practices that we talked about a couple of months ago. When we talk about denials we're not talking about pretending things are other than they are. That doesn't do anyone any good anywhere any time. I don't believe. Sometimes because of societal norms we can't we can't perhaps express our true feelings about something in that moment, but we do not want to go around pretending that everything is chirpy, happy, funny and wonderful if our lived experience is not reflecting that. So what we do is we come together, however it is that we are most at ease coming together, and we practice tools that will help us to release those things that are not serving us and to take hold and integrate those things that are more helpful. And as we look at the last week... Of the story around Jesus' life, we need to keep in mind that truly, He was not here as the one and only, but that He was here as an example of how a fully human person could live their life as, and in awareness, I should say, of their fully divine truth. So if you wish and if you are willing, I hope you will speak these words of affirming that truth of your divinity. Releasing the things that are behind. I realize I am strong, positive, powerful, wise, loving, fearless, free spirit. I am the infinite expressing at the point I am. I am peace in the midst of all Matters. And so it is. Amen. And feel free, you know, every time when we speak that, we've used different words in that. Um, At this point, we seem to be settled around the infinite. Um, You know, whatever, whatever that is, which is more than just the human of us, does not care what name we give it. It is not a being sitting up on a throne in the sky someplace. You know, saying, you good, you bad. It is a force of life. It is the energy of all that is. It is, in in some way that we don't understand, the core of what we are. And so we are here to express that. And I just always like to let you know again that you are welcome to use whatever word for that that you want to use. My own favorite is The Infinite Realm of All Possibility and Potential, but it's not very poetic. It doesn't work in very well with song lyrics, I've found. Um, the one song that kind of does say that is an Eddie Watkins songs and song, and we all just laugh, because our tongues just can't say it fast enough. But whatever it is in you, and that's the important thing, it's in you. Yes, it's out there, and yes, it's in the person sitting next to you, but it's in you. Everywhere present, all good without opposite. And Ernie, Ernie's going to let me push my own slides today, and I forgot about that. So, today is actually Palm Sunday. And for those of you who come from a traditional uh, Christian background, you, you probably have a whole lifetime of awareness around what Palm Sunday is about. As someone who walked away early on, I didn't really know the story Around Easter and Palm Sunday and all of that, and frankly, um, the period of Lent, which for those of you that uh, that are just kind of catching up, as I am this this year, uh, Lent begins. Remember when Mardi Gras happened? Everybody kind of remember Mardi Gras. Well, that's sort of the get the whole party out of your system before Lent starts. So Lent, Lent is a period of forty. 40 days and Sundays are not counted in that. Sundays remained feast days. And it's the period that leads up to the Easter celebration. The story, if we were, if we were clicking on to Netflix or whatever, and we were gonna get what, what is our story so far in this period of time? This is, This is as Jesus, who again, we look to as a fully human, fully divine being, just like you, just like me. And remember too, I'm going to tell you the story, the Bible story first, but then we're going to talk about what it means metaphysically. What does it mean to us? And this is one of those stories that for me, works perfectly as a story, because it gives me someone to emulate, someone to be inspired by, someone to learn from. And it works really well metaphysically because it reminds me that all of this is true about me as well. So Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore wrote, as most of you know who have been here for previous Lent periods, a book called Keep a True Lent. And normally I invest that whole Lenten period with my Sunday services and all of that This time I'm just going to say, life took me elsewhere. And so we have not really focused on Lent, but we are joining in with it today. And the affirmation that Charles Fillmore gives us for Palm Sunday is, The Spirit that raised up Jesus dwells in me, and I am made perfect. And I'd like to talk for just a quick moment about that, I am made perfect. That doesn't mean that if we do everything right, we will be perfect. It doesn't mean that if we strictly stay on the straight and narrow and if we never make any mistakes and if we live in that 24-7 consciousness of holiness, that then we will be made perfect. What this means is it's already done. You are made perfect. Whatever that is that created you did not leave a big hole inside of you and say, well, maybe one of these days you'll earn it. And then we'll put wholeness inside of you. You are wholeness expressing. You are that divine presence. You are that which sometimes goes by the name of God expressing right here, right now, today in through as you. You are uniquely expressing the divine, and you are made perfect already. We need to look also at that phrase, I am. If you were here a few weeks ago, I devoted a Sunday to that. The I am, when we see those words, I am, or we hear the words, I am, or we use the words, I am, we are claiming an identity for ourselves. And this is a universal thing. Every language, in every single language, people speak and say, I am. And how are the many ways we could fill that in? I'm busy. I'm tired. I'm so sick of this. I'm really angry about that. I love, I'm in love with this. I'm just, I am just enjoying that. So every time we speak that I am, we are on some level of our beingness, affirming what we believe about ourselves. So it kind of makes you want to look at your habitual use of that phrase. And that indeed was the homework a few weeks ago. Just curious, did anybody really listen to themselves that week and kind of have a "oh." Not that fond of all the ways I'm using I am." I am refers to our sacred identity. One of the, one of just the little examples that I gave is we tend to say I'm sorry a lot. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't bake you the big wonderful cake that you wanted. I'm sorry. I didn't pick up whatever it was. I'm sorry. You're not, you're not sorry. You may want to apologize. And in that case, Why not be specific and say, I apologize without claiming some level of sorriness for yourself. And we don't have to make this, we don't have to make this like a beat ourselves up with it, but it's just a thing to be conscious of. And I'm always pretty conscious of it on Sundays when I'm talking about it because I know that before this next 30 or 40 minutes are up, I will probably say, Something attached to that I am that I really would prefer not to. It's just the way we are, but it's one of the things we look at. So the spirit that raised up Jesus dwells in me, dwells in you, dwells in all of us. And we are already divine. We are already whole, complete, and perfect. Our work is to know it and express it. So this is what the journey is about So I'm gonna give you the little, the little, uh, two or three minute catch up. Jesus was of course nearing the end of his human experience. And he had gotten word that the brother of, he had three people in Bethany, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who were sisters and brother. And he had gotten word, these were very, very dear friends of his, that Lazarus was very, very ill. And so he was asked, he was off, you know, he was off healing the multitudes. He was off feeding the 5,000. He was off doing what his work was to do. And he got this message from Mary and Martha that their brother was very, very ill and did not appear to be going to live. And Jesus did what was his to do until it was time for him to extricate himself and go to Bethany and visit his friends. And by the way, this is the story as it's told in the book of John. As many of you know, the Bible has a lot of different stories about a lot of different things. In some of the other Gospels, this was the week that Jesus went to the temple and turned over all the tables and all of that also. So the story from John is that by the time he finally stopped doing whatever it was he was doing and got to Bethany, Lazarus had died. And a lot of the people were grumbling. One of the things you'll notice throughout the Bible is there's a lot of people grumbling. From, from the days of Moses, the people grumble a lot. And what we need to remember is that as we look at these things metaphysically, people... Represent our thoughts. So, there's a lot of grumbling in the Bible, this story of us. And what that means is in our human journey, we may feel like we should be off over here, maybe people want us to be off over here, but we know we have to be over here doing, doing what we're doing. And in our mind, the people are grumbling. Well, you really ought to stop this. You ought to go over here. You know, if you were really good, if you were really holy, you wouldn't be over here. You'd be over at your friend's house healing their brother. Why are you fussing around here? So there's a lot of grumbling, a lot of people expressing doubt. Jesus, of course, arrives. This is where also, if you're into Bible trivia, the shortest Bible verse is, does anybody know? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He got there, he found that his friend had died. His, his other friends were sobbing, mourning, and the people had gathered because of Lazarus' death. And according to Unity uh, Minister Ed Townley, and he has a podcast on Unity Online Radio, which is really an interesting, an interesting look at the Bible. And his theory is Jesus wept. Because he realized that as long as he kept doing everything for everybody, they were never gonna get it. That as long as everybody believed that he had to heal them, that he had the power, that he was the one who could, who could make things right, that they were still not understanding his message. That his message was that you have the power. Was that what you see me do, You can do, and in fact, as he said in one place, what you see me do, you can do even more than this. But according to Reverend Ed's interpretation, and I tend to believe it, in that moment he realized that they were never going to get it as long as he was still there and he was having his first real awareness that he was going to need to go away and that that's why he wept. And I think that sounds reasonable. So anyway, to get back to the story, he, he raised up Lazarus from the dead, and then, of course, what were all the grumbling people doing? Yay! All of a sudden, the grumbling stops, and that's kind of how our consciousness goes, too, isn't it? We, we beat ourselves up about something, and then we do something good, and then we're like, woo, yay! And then we find something else to beat ourselves up about, And this was the story of how his life was playing out. By this point, by the time he raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus really had achieved quite a lot of sort of rock star status. And at that point, the throngs of people were just constant. And he found it necessary to go away for a while up into the hills to pray, to become still to ground himself, and still people were following him everywhere. Those that were in power were not happy about this, because they knew that if everybody started following Jesus, that their power would be lost. So we're told that the high chiefs and the Pharisees decided this is it, we can you know healing blind people is one thing feeding the multitudes is another thing but raising people from the dead cannot continue and so they hatched a plan to arrest him and kill him when passover was coming people were getting ready to go to jerusalem and gather and those in power decided that this would be the time That they would arrest Jesus when he came in for that. Uh, the people that were in Jesus' close group were telling him, you can't go to, you can't go to Jerusalem, they're gonna kill you. And of course, Jesus told them that he would do what he had to do. And ultimately on Palm, what has come to be called Palm Sunday, he rode on a donkey into Jerusalem. And this had to do with fulfilling an Old Testament and an old Hebrew scriptures prophecy that the new king of the Jews would ride into Israel. And so people decided, well, this must be it then. Jesus really is it. He really is the Messiah. But again, they weren't getting the message. They thought it was about Jesus. Jesus knew it was about all of us. And so as he comes into Jerusalem... He knows what's going to happen to him. It's it's absolutely impossible for me to believe that he did not know what was coming. And of course, we know the end of the story. And at that point, he was doing his last teaching to his disciples so that they could continue teaching. And he was preparing himself for what was no doubt going to come. So we look at this from a metaphysical standpoint. Jerusalem, the holy city, always represents that place of peace within us. Within us is always a calm center of the storm. Going back to our opening affirmation, I am peace in the midst of all matters. No matter what. Now, just because we can do that and claim that in potential does not mean we always do it. But we can always choose peace. Always, no matter what. Always, always, always. And I've become convinced that probably about 99.999% of the spiritual journey is learning how to choose peace. How to be peace in the midst of all matters. How to love the people that you don't want to love. And let's face it, we all have people we do not want to love. Every one of us. But we have to learn how to do that. So, when we talk about Jerusalem, we're, we're not just talking about Jesus, the man, riding the donkey into the city of Jerusalem. We're talking about the Christ presence within us, that I am consciousness riding on an animal, which in Fillmore's, Fillmore's definition, Jesus riding in on the donkey represents the I am consciousness, the spiritual self that we are, overcoming. The animal, human, that we are. That we are now the boss of the animal part of us. And that as we go into Jerusalem, we are finding that peaceful place. That place where we know we are strong, positive, powerful, wise, loving, fearless, free spirit. And we're doing that with confidence. We're walking our truth we are doing exactly what we talked about last week, which is living the truth that we know. And so again, Jesus represent, these are these are by the way from Charles Fillmore's metaphysical interpretations. Jesus symbolizes our I am identity. Going to Jerusalem means taking the last step in unfoldment preparatory to the final step. So probably most of us in here at some point or other have thought, well, you know, this spirituality stuff is okay, but how far do I really want to take this? Like, do I have to be all holy all the time? Do I, do I have to, do I have to stop having fun? Do I have to stop having people in my life? Do I need to go crawl into a cave and be a hermit and just meditate all the time? No, we do not but again our human ego whose job is to keep us safe is always on alert kind of saying you know you, you know it's okay to go to church and have fun talking with people and singing songs and eating coffee and all that sugary stuff that's okay it's even okay to read books and talk about it but but all in really you really want to go all in after all look what happened to jesus So there's a point in our journey where we have to really look at what is it that our intention is. And this is where Jesus is. He could have stayed up in the hills. He could have stayed out of Jerusalem. He could have just continued to do what he was doing and said, you know, I really don't need to go down in all that fray. He could have just kept on with his perfectly okay life. But he chose to demonstrate his own faith and belief. So when the I am takes charge of the body, a new order of things is inaugurated through high and pure ideals. The whole consciousness is raised to a higher standard. And isn't that really what we want? Each and every one of us walked in this door or a door like it at some point in our lives because we wanted to change On some level, that first song we sang, everything changes and I can change too. We reached a point of understanding that we could change, but we didn't know how. And maybe we're afraid. And maybe if we walk in and we see other humans and we get to still look people in the eye and hug one another and just be happy to inhabit space together, maybe we can begin that process of change. So this is where we are and we come to a point that the question is now being asked within us. Is it time to take another step? Is it time to really stand in my truth and live my truth? And that for most of us is a really scary thing. I don't think I've ever admitted to this group or even to maybe not anybody in this room. Um, the day that I was ordained, uh, we had we had a visiting minister here, my mentor, and John had brought her in, and I was driving in by myself. And the day that I was being ordained four years ago, I pulled off into the, I had to pull off, you know, that, that uh, Safeway up at Wilmot and Kolb? Um, I just had to pull off. And I just had to stay in that parking lot and have a big, long talk with myself. And I, I was probably just there in that parking lot for 20 minutes thinking, I could go home. I could just go home. Do I really have to do this? Even though I'd done all of that work and all of that, there was still that in me that was saying, I don't know. I don't know if I really want to do this or not. And so it's a serious thing. Do we really want to do this or not? And yet, as Fillmore reminds us, when we allow the Christ within us to take charge, that then a whole new order of things is created. We realize that we really can do more than we thought. We realize that there is another way of being in the world. And even though it's kind of like being a freshman in high school all over again, You know, you like, you learn, you learn. By the time you're in eighth grade, you think you're pretty cool, you know. Well, in California, we went to eighth grade. Maybe here it goes ninth grade. But then there's that step into being a freshman in high school, and all of a sudden, what are you? You are just like scum of the earth again. And you don't know. People don't realize you're like a human. You're just one of those little kids over there. And the thing is, when you are one of those freshmen, you can't really understand how everybody knows it. How do they all know I'm a freshman? It's because we have stepped into another stage of beingness, and everybody's kind of like, oh, you finally got here, huh? And then the same thing happens when we go to college. And then what happens again when we go out into the work world? We're the new guy. Isn't it always a relief when someone else starts after you do? Because you're not the new guy anymore. So on our spiritual journey, we take these steps, we take these steps, we take these steps. And when we get to that point where we are willing to stand in our truth and be what we are, we're working in a whole new realm again. And now we're babies beginning to live our truth all over. So this is where looking at Jesus being willing to come into Jerusalem and live his truth Becomes quite inspiring. It becomes an example of one who was absolutely willing to do what was his to do. He knew going into it. He had options. He knew that there were other ways he could be. But he chose to do what was his to do. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish up here with, uh, before we have our quieting. At the end of, uh, the, I believe this is the 12th chapter. Of uh, John, but if you're a Bible person, you, you can just correct me later. Um, this chapter, this chapter wraps up with what they call a summary, Je- summary of Jesus' teaching. Then Jesus cried aloud, "Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in Him who sent me." And so, even though Jesus was from a patriarchal society and used him implying a male deity god. What we know he meant was that within us, that parent, that source that created us. Whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. And then this, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes should not remain in darkness. He wasn't doing this for fun. He was doing it To let us know that we are that light as well. And then he has a few other words to say. And then he he ends up saying. I have not spoken on my own. But the father who sent me. The divine within me. The origin of what I am. The I am consciousness. The Christ within me. The universe. The infinite. The Buddha mind. Divine mind. Whatever name you want to call it. That is within me. Has sent me, and given me a commandment about what to say and what to speak. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. So he knew that there was a message, there was an example, there was a proof that he had to provide. And he decided that he would be the one who was willing to do that for us. So we know what the next part of the story is. Ultimately, he was arrested He was put to death. And then, of course, next week we will celebrate the rest of the story. But I hope that for these moments, that as we move into this time of quieting, that you will allow yourself to really take those words to heart. I came so that people would know light. Whatever dark places there are in your heart, those can be made light. Whatever dark places there are in your consciousness, you can choose to have eyes to see and ears to hear truth and light and shift your life into a higher order of things. And to me, that's the message of this. That's the message of the story itself. It's the message that this particular teacher came to teach. It's the message that all of us are here to hear. And so I invite you as we become still to be open and receptive to what is your message? What is yours to do? What is it yours to say yes to? So if you will, become still, become quiet, perhaps some breath. That egoic part of our mind can get really kind of worried when it hears stuff like I've been talking about. My own egoic mind is going on and wanting to go, wait, 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 you shouldn't be telling people this. Life is rough. Life is hard. But life is eternal. The human journey is difficult. The human journey had a beginning and it will have an end. But life is eternal. So we become still. We allow ourselves to breathe. And as this next song plays, I simply invite you to be peace, to know peace, and to have ears that hear within and eyes that see the light that you are. this moment you are whole you were created in and of the wholeness that is the seed of all that is all good good without opposite in this moment everything has the potential to change In every moment, we can choose differently. In every moment, we can choose to allow ourselves to cooperate with that which is a whole higher order of life. We can choose to walk the truth that we know To put into practice the things that we've read about, the things that have lived as theoretical possibilities, we can choose to walk in peace and be whole, be peace, be truth in expression at the point we are. So for these next few moments of stillness, allow yourself To simply live that possibility, to listen to the truth within you, to open your inner eyes of spirit and listen with those same ears of spirit. On this day, we honor the willingness of one of the master teachers who came before us. We honor the willingness of this human, this fully human man to live the light of his divinity. And it's entirely possible he didn't really know how to do that any more than we do when he first said yes. And, as he walked his truth, the way was shown to him. And he continued to be willing. Again, willing so that we don't have to live in darkness. Willing so that we can see an example of one who did greater things and told us we could do even greater than that. So we take him at his word. We choose to believe. And we offer appreciation and gratitude. We offer appreciation and gratitude to all of the teachers along the spiritual journey. Some of them are known by all of us. And some of them that just pop up for a few minutes in a day and then move on but we know that our way is guided in light because we are light. We know that our way will be walked in love because we are love. We know that peace will be present because we are the presence of peace in the midst of all matters. We know this is so, and so it is. Amen. I'm just going to invite you for your homework this week to consider willingness. And this is no new thing from me. You know, you hear me talk about willingness probably every week in some way or another. And I simply hope that the next time that an opportunity presents for you to choose, because choices will come around, you know, on and on and on. They're They're already coming around. I hope that when the choice comes around to choose whether or not to step into that higher order of life, that you will pause. And when you hear all of those crowds muttering in your head, all of the crowds murmuring and muttering and going, really, are you nuts? Do you really want to do this thing? That perhaps in that moment, you will simply rise up to those thoughts to that portion of your adverse ego, and simply say, yes, I am willing. We don't have to know what that looks like. But if we're willing, we know that we will take the right step. So, happy Palm Sunday to all of you. Thank you.